Welcome to 2024. With the 2024 election on the horizon, the wars in Gaza and Ukraine, and numerous other foreign policy and domestic news stories, it's never been more important to stay informed. The DSR Network has you covered, with experts across all of these stories, to bring you the analysis and commentary of the stories that matter. Later this month, the DSR Network will introduce the TNR Daily, featuring Greg Sargent, formerly of the Washington Post, and a close friend of the show. Don't miss a moment of our coverage. Become a member of the DSR Network today. Members receive exclusive bonus content, the opportunity to attend DSR live events, a members-only Slack community, an ad-free listening experience, and more. For the month of January, receive 50% off your first year of membership. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSR2024 at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSR2024. Thank you for your support. Hello and welcome to the DSR Daily. I am David Rothkopf, one of your co-hosts. We're here to talk about the news and what it means. Uh, and I am joined, as always, by Chris Cottonwer. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing well, thanks. Excellent. And Riley Fessler. How are you, Riley? Doing well. What's your lead story for today, Chris? Pakistan has conducted drone and rocket strikes on uh, Balak separatist militants. Uh, this was in response to attacks, <clears throat> excuse me, by uh, Iran um, as a retaliation. Um, the activities, the most significant in in years, and also of, uh, unfortunately leads to. Um, you know, all that is going on right now in the Middle East with Israel uh, and Palestine and Gaza um, and obviously Ukraine and Russia, which is coming up on their uh, two-year anniversary. Um, so, you know, more unrest in the Middle East is the bottom line. And I guess we'll see what happens next. <laughs> yes, we, we certainly will. That's the kind of uh, insight that people are paying extra for this. Uh, I no, give you, I, you, you're the insight guy. Oh, I'm I report it. Thank, thank you. Um, yeah, well, I, you know, I mean, this is a troubling trend. Uh, as our friend Mark Polymeropoulos was uh, tweeting out last night, uh, you know, there's so many vectors of conflict in the Middle East right now. Uh, then it may just be the Middle East being the Middle East, or it may be a situation uh, that uh, a spark could turn into a region-wide conflict. Uh, naturally, uh, all eyes are on the latter. Um, and, you know, when you consider that the Houthi, um, uh, Houthis that the United States is uh, uh, attacking with, uh, you know, the help of the British and some others are backed by the Iranians, uh, that Hezbollah, uh, which may be ramping up some of its activities, are backed by the Iranians, uh, that uh, um, uh, Hamas is backed by Iranians, uh, that Iran is engaged in a conflict with Pakistan, uh, that, uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know, you can see these things spreading out. 
significantly because of all of that and because Iran has good relations with China and Pakistan is quite close to China, the Chinese have stepped up and said, we're going to try to uh, uh, get in the middle of this, try to mediate it and try to bring it down a few notches. I suspect they will be successful. Chinese have a lot of leverage in both cases. Um, but uh, I have to keep an eye on it, as you say. Um, uh, and, the, and the region is dangerous. There's no, there is no question. And there are people within the region who benefit from more conflict, not least less conflict, including um, in the minds of a few in Israel, the Israelis. Riley? Well, keeping the focus on the Middle East and conflict there, uh, suspected Jordanian airstrikes have killed at least 10 in Syria. And this is part of uh, the Jordanians' efforts this year to combat the drug smuggling that they say has been a huge problem coming from Syria. It's the third strike that they've done this year. And actually recently they uh their armed forces engaged in a clash with armed smugglers along the Syrian border, which resulted in five deaths in that case as well. So they highlight the amphetamine captagon as one of the kind of main things they're trying to keep out and why they're committing so many strikes. Um, in this case, they struck the homes of two individuals uh, and they were both killed, but also their families were killed as well, including their wives, aunts, and children. Um, so this has obviously become a humanitarian crisis as well with significant civilian casualties in these strikes. So uh, this was, frankly, uh, an aspect of the Middle East and conflict there that I wasn't really privy to before this story. But even though it's outside of kind of the scope of Israel-Gaza, I do think it's something to keep an eye on. Well, look, there's a lot of instability in the in the region. I don't know if killing a few members of a couple of families counts as a humanitarian crisis, albeit uh, a, a certainly uh, a tragic turn of events. Uh, but I, I do think it, it does draw attention to the fact that instability in any country tends to attract um, people who benefit from uh, weak governments and weak enforcement of the laws. And that can be terrorists, but it can also be criminals. It can be drug smugglers and the like. And we've seen that uh, throughout this part of the world. Uh, we saw it certainly uh, in Afghanistan, which, of course, has a a, a giant um, poppy slash heroin trade, uh, you know, ongoing there. Uh, but we've seen it everywhere, and I think people need to recognize that uh, this kind of social breakdown that we've seen in places and certainly continues on in Syria has a lot of negative consequences, um, uh, not just within the region, but uh, uh, smuggling goes from Syria into Europe. Uh, uh, clearly, the you know the Afghan situation uh, touches the rest of the world. Uh, goes into uh, Russia, uh, where it is you know met fairly severely, uh, etc. Uh, and uh, I think you know call, calling attention to it is the right thing to do. Chris, Another day, another Trump trial, and another threat to toss him out of the courtroom. Uh, Judge Lewis Kaplan threatened to throw Trump out um, as he made comments um, about the trial, calling it a hoax and a con job. Um, this, I'll remind you, is the civil defamation trial 
not to be confused with Trump's previous E. Jean Carroll trial in which he was already found liable for sexual assault. Um, Nikki Haley seems to be confused uh, about this fact well, as she well. Says as she's we, just, she, Nikki Haley says, I'm just not aware. I'm just yes. not following. I'm just not following the fact that the judge called Trump a rapist, said the finding was that he was technically a rapist by a jury, not by the judge. And she's like, oh, no, I don't know. I'm not paying attention to that. Yeah, and and I saw your tweet. And what I don't, I mean, obviously the the trial, um, and, and by the way, these comments were made while Trump was president of the United States in 2019. Uh, this yeah. is what he's on trial for today. Um, I don't get Nikki Haley at all. I mean, on the stage, she's, you know, combative, um, saying, you know, we need somebody other than Trump. And then she has an op- opportunity, in my opinion, uh, to really be forceful uh, on CNN in an interview. And she says, oh, you know, I don't, I don't really pay attention to what what's going on. Um, that's exactly the kind of person I would lo- love as president. And, and, you know, and Trump and his his numerous lawsuits um you know just just continue it's 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 absolutely spineless uh and you know at the end of the day it comes down to the arithmetic of politics uh the core of trump supporters may not be a very large group of people you take in the you know case of uh, uh you know uh say the iowa caucuses trump got 50 percent of the 12 or 14% who voted, which is 6% of the Republican Party, which is probably a third to 40% of the electorate. So it's just a couple of percent of the whole electorate, but it's 50% of those who showed up. And so for a Nikki Haley or for a, you know somebody else who's competing in this race, getting any of them is important. So she doesn't want to alienate the MAGA base even though it would be of no use in the general election. Um, and, uh, you know, this has been the case also with DeSantis. Uh, you know, I, I think Vivek, your friend Vivek, who you like so much, and I'm sorry, I want to send my condolences that he's dropped out of the race. I know you were rooting for him um, as America's candidate. But uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, you know, they... They're all dancing to MAGA's tune. But, you know, I I do think that people who are listening to this need to recognize that the further extreme Republican candidates are pulled by the extremists within the Republican base, the less likely it is that they will win a general election. And we've seen that ever since the advent of the MAGA movement. Remember, it began with Trump losing the popular vote, the Republicans have done very poorly in elections compared to what expectations were. And there is every reason to assume, particularly since the vast majority of of independents now say if Trump is convicted of anything, they couldn't vote for him, um, that the, the Republican right, which everybody thinks of as this big monolith that has a lot of power in the U.S., is going to guarantee the losses of the GOP. Riley? 
Well, Brazil is making moves to prosecute and investigate those who are involved in their kind of analog to January 6th, which happened to take place on January 8th, 2023. And as a reminder, this was when supporters of President Bolsonaro uh, stormed government buildings, including the Congress, Presidential Palace, and Supreme Court to uh, protest the victory of President Lula da Silva. And obviously they failed. Uh, Many of them were apprehended. But in this case, uh, a very close Bolsonaro ally and member of Congress is uh, being investigated. Uh, The federal police executed search and seizure warrants against him, uh, Congressman Carlos Jordi. And I think this is an interesting story in that it is very clearly a mirror to January 6th in the U.S. and how we've gone after those who are involved and, you know, their defense is very similar. It echoes where Jordy called the raid an authoritarian measure, lacking evidence, suggesting that it was intended to just be used as a political hit, which I think sounds familiar to anyone who's been following January 6th and those defendants. So I think it's an important case to watch in terms of the implications for democracy in Brazil, but also just to compare to how we've been handling it here. Um. Uh, yeah, I, I think it. Uh, you know, your points are are, are good ones, and uh, you know, I, I think it also illustrates that uh, the 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 Trump movement, while it has some appeal, or the right, uh, the global right rights movement, um, uh, you know, also faces a lot of opposition. Uh, worldwide. And um, the Brazilians have been a little bit more aggressive than the United States has been um, uh, uh, attacking, uh, you know, the problems associated with Bolsonaro and the right-wing movement. Um, uh, I do think there's an interesting contrast in that uh, uh, yesterday, Argentina's President uh, Javier Malay, who I, I know you love to follow, uh, was in Davos, um, you know, saying that the world, uh, the Western world is in danger uh, because of socialism. Uh, and uh, he went off in his kind of usual rant, calling himself an anarcho-capitalist and, um, and, and offering this kind of, again, this kind of right-wing dogma. Uh, and you can get a clear sense of the fact that, uh, uh, you know, his lunacy, uh, his sort of extreme views on the stage uh, were just that because he was almost immediately supported by none other than Elon Musk, uh, who said, yeah, I love this guy. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's part, that's part of the problem. The uh, global media uh, is increasingly controlled by people who are drawn to these kind of crazed right-wing views. Um, uh, And, uh, uh, you know, I would add, by the way, one other footnote, which is following the news out of Davos, uh, there was a story of Jamie Dimon, the CEO of um, J.P. Morgan, who came out and said, 
you know, Trump may have his problems, but a lot of his policies were excellent. And you should not criticize Trump supporters for supporting his excellent policies, by which he means, you know, the ones that make me even richer, uh, the ones that have him supporting the Supreme Court um, that is probably based on its hearing yesterday going to gut the administrative state and make it harder for governments to regulate, which makes it easier for companies to be profitable, which means that the people who own those companies, which are primarily giant investors, uh, will get richer and richer. Um, so there is, you know, these pieces all fit together, you know, there's a sort of the most powerful people in finance support the right-wing fringe because the right-wing fringe promises to pay them off with tax cuts and regulatory cuts, which ensures that despite the fact that some of these people are criminals and others seek to undermine our institutions, uh, that they will continue to have a life and be relevant. Uh, that's, you know, that's, that's your lesson from Davos today, boys and girls. Chris? I mean, Jamie Dimon's a little concerned. You know, he doesn't want to drop out of the, uh, you know, the billionaire club. He's no, only no, worth one point nine billion. One point nine billion. Yeah, yeah. Billion. And, you know, this is Jamie Dimon. You know, the public spirited guy who, you know, in two thousand seven and two thousand and eight, you know, got uh, you know uh, a twenty billion dollar fine for having. Uh, participated in what led to the financial crash. And as I tweeted out today, I don't, I don't know if you saw this, but it, I, I recalled a story when I was at Davos a few years back. Um, Chris, you may recall that we were affiliated with a publication that used to host a lunch there. And I was seated at a table with Jamie Dimon and another billionaire who's well known in the world for being a real philanthropist leaned over at one point as somebody was talking about world attitudes and said to Jamie Dimon, billionaire lives matter. And they both <laughs> tackled, you know, like, and, 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 and I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what people think is happening at Davos. And it's actually happening. They're like laughing. Billionaire lives matter too, you know? Um, but that's, that's where these people come from. Pretty I only went only went one time. I had to be there for breakfast, and I, you know, because I'm I'm not, you know, a member of the uh, upper crust elite, global elite. Yeah, yeah. Super class. I I stayed in Zurich, so I had to leave <laughs> the hotel at like three in the morning to get there to set up for this breakfast that to we drive had. up the mountain for the rich. Oh my god! And and to your <laughs> point that you made the other day, freezing, idiot, Chris. Did not have boots. I was walking. Oh, let's walk around town. I don't want to walk around town. It's freezing. I have shoes on. My feet are like frozen to the road. This place sucks. Like, take me dude, home now. Dude, that's why you're not a member of the global elite. That's right. Huh? That's, you know, that's right. if you had worn the right shoes, you might have had a shot. Uh, Riley, someday you will definitely be part of the global elite because you're here. And, we're and because I have warm shoes. And yes, also. And you know that when it's wintertime on a fucking mountain in the Alps, dress warmly. I'll just quickly say uh, the oh. German economy contracted oh. last Sorry. year by 0.3%. Uh, the German economy is the largest in the Eurozone, um, and they're facing challenges. Uh, 
with competition from China in terms of electric cars, um, but their own policies are uh, thwarting uh, progress. Uh, their industrial production has declined for the last five months, um, and many cite the uh, law that uh, limits uh, borrowing. So they're unable to make investments in public infrastructure projects. Uh, the 2024 outlook is no better. Um, I'm sure Jamie Dimon has some thoughts about the German economy <laughs> that he could share uh, while he's stating that uh, billionaires are people too. But yeah, billionaires' lives better. Um, okay, what's what's the last story we got here, Riley? Well, Russia's Sergei Lavrov has rejected a U.S. proposal to resume nuclear arms control dialogue, and he cites the military support for Ukraine as the key reason, which I think is wholly unsurprising. He's accused the West of escalating global security risks by encouraging Ukraine to increase attacks on Russian territory. Um, maybe they should have thought of that before they attacked Ukrainian territory, um, but you know, this is not at all surprising as this has been really the narrative from Russia all along. But it is frustrating to see that we can't get back to nuclear arms control dialogue, which was kind of a key area that Russia and the U.S. could actually come to the table on historically. Um, but, you know, I'm not at all surprised by this. Using Ukraine as a scapegoat for why they don't want to come to the table is right out of the playbook. So, it's not the worst thing that he said yesterday. Both he and uh, Dmitry Medvedev, uh, who's kind of, you know, was former uh, Russian president, who's, you know, kind of the second most powerful politician in Russia, um, uh, said essentially Ukraine um, must capitulate uh, to the superior Russian culture. Medvedev said Ukraine can no longer exist. And those Ukrainians who do not wish to become Russian should all die with their families. I mean, you know, genocide, absolute genocide. What was that met with here in the United States? It was met with the Speaker of the House saying, I don't see any way to give Ukraine further aid. And Marjorie Taylor Greene saying, if we were to give Ukraine further aid or we were to try, I would immediately lead the, the effort to uh, get rid of the Speaker. Uh, showing that the pressure is coming from the right. Uh, I will have a column on this tomorrow in the Daily Beast because the fact of the matter is that the MAGA Republican right are re supporting Russian genocide in Ukraine. And that is no exaggeration. That is what it is. It is the kind of thing that we live with. It's like saying the leading Republican contender to be president is a rapist. You know, that sounds kind of extreme. But a judge said he was. You know, or he's an insurrection. We we just have, I live in in like through the looking glass times here, folks. Um, and remarkable things are happening, uh, many of which are not good. But we'll cover them, good or bad, each day here at the DSR uh, Daily, and we hope you will join us for that. Uh, and our typical uh, uh, weekly world uh, report uh, will be out later today, Thursday. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, we'll also have, uh, another podcast from Norm Ornstein and Kavita Patel tomorrow, Friday, 
uh, and another We're All Gonna Die radio podcast tomorrow, Friday. So we've got a lot coming your way. Uh, Stand by for that. Join us for that. And see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye.